Well, hey, church, it's good to be with you again uh, in this way. One of the uh, traditions within our family as the new year looms is that we spend some time reflecting on the year that was, as well as beginning to look ahead to the year uh, that is to come. And so last year, one of the things I did was in the back of a notebook, I I listed different things that we did or achieved through the year. Uh, And when I look back over the list, it was a big and exciting year. There were milestones that were achieved. There were uh, goals that had been set and accomplished. Um, some of our family had lead roles in local productions. There, there, was, there was a whole lot done and experienced. The thing is, though, as I look over that list of highlights, um, not much of it is about me. Uh, so much of it is about things that my wife did and achieved and about what my kids did and achieved. I think my big moment was at the start of the year when I broke my ribs stacking my bike. So I look over the list and I look back on last year and while within my family uh, there was lots going on and it was positive and exciting, I think for me, really it was a bit of a nothing year. I think the same can be said when it comes to the book of Acts and the passage that we're looking at for today. I can't help but feel that it's, that it's a bit similar. See, Acts is this book of excitement and activity. It opens with Jesus' commission to his disciples and the promise of power. And then it proceeds on from there to the Spirit's descent, to the powerful preaching of God's word, to, to the growth of the church, to the healing of many, to the coming of persecution, but then to the amazing conversion of Paul and the spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. There is just high point after high point after high point, except for the second half of chapter one that we're looking at today. Just like last year was a bit of a nothing year for me, this feels like a bit of a nothing story in comparison to the rest of the account of the early church. And yet it's been included in the biblical narrative, so it must be something that's important and significant. So let's look at it together and see what we can learn from it. It's Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 12. And it says they, and it's talking to, about the apostles, they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field and there he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language the field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, And may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism 
to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. This story comes in the lull between Jesus' promise to send the Holy Spirit and then the arrival of that Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And so the disciples are waiting in Jerusalem, obeying the instruction that Jesus gave them back in verse 4. And that's really what this story is about, waiting. They're waiting. All these big events have happened. These big events are coming, and they are in that in-between period. So what do they do in this waiting time? What happens while they wait in this kind of nothing time? Well, first we see they gather together. The original 12 disciples, minus Judas, are there, along with the women who followed Jesus. There's also his mom. And while Mary had pretty consistently followed Jesus throughout his life and his ministry, his brothers hadn't done so. And so it's significant to see them also gathered here now. In verse 15, we're told that the, the number of believers who are gathered are about 120 and this number is significant because within Jewish society, this is the number that was needed to establish an, a new community with its own governing body. And so in other words, something new and different is starting here with this group of people. It's a new movement uh, of those who together follow Jesus. Now, we are currently unable to gather in one place. But using the technology available to us, we are still gathering together as part of that same movement of followers of Jesus. And as they gather, the second thing we see is that they pray. Verse 14 says, they all join together constantly in prayer. This joining together for prayer is more than just them gathering uh, with each other. It expresses that they were united and that they were in agreement as they prayed. They were of one heart and of one mind in their prayer, and they joined in it constantly. Luke, who wrote Acts, he also wrote at the end of his gospel about the disciples, and he says there that they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. One commentator therefore summarize the life of, the, of these early disciples through this waiting time as one of continuous praise in the temple and of continuous praise, uh, of continuous prayer rather, in the home. So whether it was prayer or praise, there was unity and alignment of purpose uh, and the regular practice of these habits in their life. And what's interesting, too, is that they didn't wait for the Spirit to come before they started acting in these ways. But they built them into their life together even now. The waiting time was not wasted time, but rather it was a time of preparation for them. And you, uh, in, in this season that we're in of this isolation, as the virus has put all sorts of restrictions and, and shutdowns on us, we are in this waiting time, too. 
We're waiting for things to go back to normal. We're waiting to be able to do things as we used to be able to do. But this may this waste, waiting time not be wasted time for us either, but may we make the most of the opportunity that it presents to us. So thirdly then, what we see them do in this waiting time is read, study, reflect on, apply and obey the Scriptures. We see this illustrated in Peter who declares that the scripture has to be fulfilled. And then he goes on to quote two Psalms that he sees being fulfilled in the explanation of what happened to Judas uh, and of then their need as a new community to appoint his replacement. And this was necessary for them because Jesus himself had appointed the 12, 12 disciples, these 12 apostles, and they corresponded with the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. And so if this new movement of Jesus followers uh, that would become the church, if this was to be a continuation and even a fulfillment of Israel from the Old Testament, then this number of the 12 apostles needed to be maintained. And so in obedience to that word and what they understood of it, fourthly, we see them appoint a new leader to join the 11 to make up the numbers to 12. See, Judas, in guilt and shame over his actions in the betrayal and death of Jesus, he hung himself after returning the money uh, that they paid him to the priests. It then tells us here in verse 18 that from there his body fell to the ground in a state of decomposition before it was then buried. And so the believers had to look for one among them who had been with us the whole time that the Lord Jesus was living among us. And this person would... uh, become a witness with us of his resurrection. And we're told that they find at least two who meet this criteria. And then these choices, these two men, are laid before Christ himself, recognizing that Jesus is the head of the church. And they want Jesus to make his choice and his appointment of them. And they do this through the casting of lots. And as a result, then, Matthias was added to the 11 apostles, and he filled that spot that had been left vacant by Judas. On reflection, when I look more closely at at my list from last year, it wasn't as much of a nothing year as it might seem at first glance. I saw amazing shows, had new experiences, uh, had great times, fun outings with family and friends, I excelled in my studies and did a range of other things. There was a lot that was really good and positive, even if it was a bit more ordinary in comparison to the rest of the family. And I think maybe it's likewise with these verses from Acts that we're looking at today. They might seem like a bit of a nothing, especially in comparison to the big moments that, that come, but there's still a lot that's good and positive that's going on. It's still important activity even if it can seem a bit more quiet or ordinary. So what is it then that we can learn from these verses? I mean, we've read this account of of what they did, but uh, what's the takeaway for us from this? Well, I think there's at least two practical applications for us uh, from these verses. Firstly, they they show us something uh, of how we can go about in discerning God's will. We're often left wondering, what does God want me to do in this situation? We ask all kinds of questions. Who does uh, God want me to marry? What job should I take? 
Where should I study? Where should I live? What school should I send my, my kids to? What course should I do? How should I budget my money? Should I give to this charity and cause or to this one? Where should I go on holiday this year? And so often we go about answering these questions just as best as we can figure out by ourselves. But what we see in these verses are some principles that can inform our decision making and that can help us to discern what is God's will for us in them. We see them to start with persisting in prayer. This is not just a one-off thing. It's not they're in a sudden crisis and it's a cry out to God and then that's it. It's not even that they've made their decisions and then it's like, oh, oops, God, can you please bless this thing that we've already decided? No, it's preemptive and constant prayer. They are constantly coming before God, seeking him and seeking his will. And so then we see them in the scriptures. They're not just opening their Bible to random places and, and, and putting their finger on a verse to do what it says, whatever the consequences of that might be. They're immersed in the scriptures. They're, they're sitting with them and prayerfully applying them to their lives. They're seeking to obey all that they understand the scriptures to be saying to them. We are looking for God's will and guidance in things uh, that, that the Bible isn't clear on. And yet there is real clarity for us of what God's will is in so many areas. And as we walk in them, we will, can do so knowing uh, that, and having the confidence that we are walking in God's will as we walk in obedience to what he says. We also then see them considering their options with others around them. Prayer and scripture lay the groundwork, if you like, but even there it's not an individualized thing. Their decisions are made with others, with, with their input adding to the discernment process. So often we can kind of make up our own decision about the thing that we want to do and then seek to find some kind of biblical or spiritual justification as to why we should do that. But gathering with others means that that, that gets challenged and we get pushed in ways that we may not otherwise be, um, that we might not otherwise choose to. We have the encouragement and affirmation of others to go in a certain path. And so they do so with others around them. And then we see them submitting their choices to God. They had identified two men, and then both are brought before God. And they have a willingness to follow and obey what God says, whatever way the choice pans out. They're not just seeking his blessing after the fact, after they've already made their decision, but they are seeking his leading at the front end for them to follow in that. And so these principles of prayer, of scripture, of community, and of submission, they remain really valid for us as individuals and as a wider church as we seek to know and to follow God's will. So that's one thing we can take away from these verses. But secondly, these, these verses show us that in the church, nobodies are somebodies. Before this chapter, we'd never heard of Matthias. And you know what? After this chapter, we never hear of Matthias again. And yet, he was appointed to be one of the twelve, to be a leader in the church, to be a witness to Jesus. He's a nobody, but he's a somebody. In fact, most of the twelve are nobodies. We never hear of them again. Yes, there's a few that we do, but the majority of the twelve apostles, we never hear from again. And yet, they were chosen by Jesus himself. 
They spent time with him. They learnt from him. They saw his miracles. They witnessed his death and his resurrection. They led the church and they served their saviour. In God's economy, they were somebodies. We had an elders meeting the other night. And with all respect to our elders, they're nobodies. Yet they spend time with Jesus. They witness to his good news and they serve his church in a leadership role. They are somebodies. Most Christian ministry is unseen, unknown and unrecognized. There is a small handful of Christian celebrities, but the majority of ministry is done in obscurity by faithful and humble servants. In fact, the more of a nobody they are, the better. I mean, Jesus himself says that anyone who wants to be first must actually be the very last and the servant of all. Or he says, uh, for it is the one who is the least among you all who is the greatest. You know what makes nobodies so great in God's kingdom and in his mission in the world? They're not about themselves. They're not trying to be known. They're not trying to build a platform. They're not trying to gather accolades. They're just pointing to Jesus. They are small so that Jesus can be big. As nobodies, they are pointing to a greater somebody. So you might be faithfully living your Christian life trying to walk with Jesus, to witness to his life, death and resurrection and serving in his church. You might be a leader in a ministry or you might just be a helper working quietly in the background. You might never be recognized by others. What you do may never be seen. You feel like a nobody. But Jesus recognizes you and your service. He has appointed you to your ministry, and that makes you a somebody. Books might not be written about you. History may forget you. But you are who Jesus has for the job, just as Matthias was. In the end, this wasn't a nothing story after all. This was a necessary story of the fledgling church getting ready for what God was going to do in it and through it. They gathered and prayed and applied the scriptures. They sought God's will and they set aside as one of their leaders someone who would point them to Jesus. And the result? Well, you have to join us again next week. But if you do want to look ahead, uh, you can read it in Acts 2. But spoiler alert, the church absolutely exploded. So with that hope and vision in mind, let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word, a word that speaks to all of us in all of our situations. God, we are in a time of waiting, just as this early church was. And in that time then, God, I pray that we would make the most of it, that we would pray to you, that we would seek to know your scriptures and to walk in obedience to them. God, that we would know your will for us as we, as we communicate with others as we're able. And that, God, we will take confidence that what we do that is hidden, secret, and unseen is still uh, the work that you have for us and as such as work that has meaning and significance. And, God, we pray that through this time, just as we sit waiting, uh, sorry, just as the early disciples 
sat waiting, and then uh, soon the church was to explode. We pray that the same would be true of us in this time. We pray, God, and we commit ourselves to you and to your service in Jesus' name. Amen.